previously on the Who's Who podcast. There's a reason Rob is trying to stop me from talking more about Troy, because he wants to get to the next entry. Yes, I do. It's my favorite one of the friggin' book. It's fantastic. It's Ultra the Multi-Alien, the character find of 1966, drawn by John K. Snyder, who, of course, rang the bell in the previous issue with his Count Vertigo drawing. So two months in a row, he's produced my favorite listing. I don't care what anyone says. I've always loved this character, as goofy as he is. First appeared in Mystery in Space number 103. This drawing by John K. Snyder is off the charts great. I even liked it more. I like it more than the Count Vertigo one, where we see Ultra floating in space, and then we have these little inset panels showing you the four alien races that he's made up of. There's like an electric guy, there's like a bird guy, and there's like this kind of weird spocky looking dude, and then there's like a guy with the punk hair with the green skin. I just love this thing. It's got the old school Ultra logo. I just love it. I love it so completely. And I am so, I have no idea why he's here, like why he got a <laughs> listing. I don't think he deserved one. I don't think he was in anything currently, but I love that they got John K. Snyder to do it. John K. Snyder did just such a great job. He is just killing it in these, these entries. And on the back, we see him for, and we're seeing um, him pining for his girlfriend, who of course he can never be with because now he's no longer Ace Arn, former space pilot. He's ultimately. It's, it's even a thought balloon. It's like yes. a little thought balloon with a pictogram of her face, which yeah, is he's, awesome. He's all sad about her. Oh, okay. So I just, I, I, uh, I just, it's so colorful and so beautiful. I just love this thing. All right, all right, Rob, brace yourself. You ready? This is one of my single favorite entries of the entire Loose Leaf edition. Hey, there we of go. We can get along. All right. I love this thing. I have always loved this piece. It's not just recent. I have loved this since the day it came out. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Um, now, you say you've always loved Ultra the Multi-Alien. I never took notice of Ultra the Multi-Alien until this entry. Even with the classic who's who, it was still, it was a good, I can't remember who did it. It was a good entry, whatever it was in the classic who's who. I think they got uh, the original artist, Lee Elias, to do the original. Okay. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty sweet. Uh, this one, though, is just, like you said, off the chart amazing. Now, you said why he's in here? I have no freaking idea, man. I did some research here. Okay. He appeared in 1966. That is the, here's his history. He's in 1966, right? Doesn't appear again until who's who, <laughs> which is what, 20 years. Then he appears in history of the DC universe. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. He had one more issue. Okay. He appeared in an issue of Animal Man. All right. But it was Animal Man number 25, which is like chock full of weird characters. So I haven't reread the issue in years. I'm sure he's probably just in a, uh, in a, in a sea of, of weird characters, probably. Ironically, issue number 25 is also where Siskoid takes his uh, avatar from, the little monkey typing. But um, And then he doesn't get seen for 10 years. So this is a passion character, a passion project character is what this is. It's the only reason he could possibly be in here. And I'm, thank God they did. It's just gorgeous. We need to email Michael Yuri and ask him, like, why is Ultra the Multi-Alien in here? Now, I will say, where I discovered Ultra the Multi-Alien was not in the comic books. It oh, was, really? it, well, it sort of was. It was, ver- it was through Nickelodeon's video comics TV show when we've talked oh, about that crazy. show where you, you, you yeah. talked about it on your blog where it was literally some old DC comics from the 60s and 70s read to you out loud via voice actors and for whatever reason maybe it was a rights thing I don't know but that series did not do like Superman Batman Wonder Woman they did off brand they did Adam Strange they did Swamp Thing they did Sugar and Spike and they did for whatever reason Ultra the Multi-Alien and that was That's the crazy yeah, it is nuts. And that was the first time I'd ever seen the character. Because, of course, he appeared in 60s comics.
comics. I didn't have access to those back then. Now, as a side thing, I I spent a couple hours, like, over the course of last week, trying to find information about this show, Video Comics. There's only... (laughs) Again? Yes. You're you're back on that again. I I am determined to find information on this. And I, I found there was a comment on the IMDb page from the producer of the show, from the, no, the director of the show talking about it, but you can't like use it to contact him in any way. And there's only two, uh, unbelievably, this thing's not even on YouTube, this show. There's the intro, the opening credits, again, which you put on your Firestorm fan blog because it shows Firestorm comic in a spinner rack. Sure and there's, does. there's two segments from the show on YouTube. There's one of Hawkman, uh, un- unhelpfully titled Wingman by the guy that uploaded it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then one of Swamp Thing. Right, um, I need the Swamp Thing one. Swamp Thing one, yeah. that's the one everybody knows. But, like, this thing has just disappeared. But I remember, I never missed an episode of Video Comics. I loved it, and it introduced me to all of these cool characters. And so, Ultra the Multi-Alien, like, to me, is like, that's how I know it's through Video Comics. And I'm so happy that, A, he's here, and B, they gave it to John K. Snyder, who just crushed it. You know what's so weird about it, though, is like that video comics thing, it was, you know, with the late 70s, early 80s, whatever it was. It was like 79, 80, promote, 81. Okay, why would they promote a 13-year-old comic? It made no sense. You know, it's not like someone could go to another drugstore and get it. Nope. You know, so made, it wasn't reprinted. It made what no sense. It made no sense at all. I, I, someday I'm going to find out about that series. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's the friggin' internet. Everybody's on the internet. I'm going to find my way to somebody that worked on that well, show. I don't know how. I'm, I'm going to do it. I've been flipping through the Silver Age Sci-Fi Companion again what we've been talking i still can't find them ultra multi-alien piece in here but uh it's worth it again just for star hawkins and his sexual love yes exactly oh such great we go on and on about ultra multi-alien but just i i'm unbelievable that john k snyder did two in a row that are my favorite oh. that guy is just well, fantastic. almost every entry he does in who's who is exceptional yeah, so really he's good. fantastic good stuff red border, red border by the way writers uh robert greenberger and first appearance uh you know 1965 so apparently he had a few appearances before he faded away we do a Who's Who podcast. Oh, okay. We talk about the Who's Who entries. Oh, okay. He was just telling me about Oh, okay. It. All right. And your pieces, I mean, just are so stunning and so different. Oh, thank you so, so much. Unique. Thank you. So, Ultra, how did you end up with that assignment? Uh, well, actually, uh, I requested it. Really? Yeah. I uh, I was a big fan of Ultra, the multi-alien, uh, when I was a kid. Okay. I found uh, some old copies of, uh, and I remember the ads in the uh, other comics. And he was such a unique character and very appealing to me as a kid because in the 60s, that was when, like, the famous monsters craze was, you know, and all yeah. the monster craze was really big. And he, you know, was such an unusual-looking character that it immediately appealed to me. And he only had a handful of appearances. So, really, I, it, it, not until I was older at a comic convention did I find, you know, the actual appearances. I just went off the ads that I would see. <laughs> so when we, they were putting together the Who's Who, uh, I asked Michael Urey, who was the editor at the time, if I could do Ultra. So that was, uh, you know, that was really a, a, a blast. I really enjoyed doing that. So I really put a lot into it. I wanted to do, actually had talked to um, Mark Wade at the time about doing, uh, he was editor on Secret Origins. Right, right. And there was a period where, uh, you know, I was talking to him about doing a uh, Secret Origins uh, Ultra. Oh, so, my gosh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, if you look on the back uh, there, uh, yeah, those are, like, I'd already had in mind, like, a, an approach to how to do it. And uh, This, and we, we talked at great length about this, just this panel alone. Yeah. The whole, just doing it all in pictogram was brilliant. It tells the whole story I right was, there. I was already, I was ready to go. That's oh, how, that's okay. how I, that's, you know, so that was a little bit of, like, yeah, that's an idea of how it would have looked if I had uh, actually done that story. Oh, 
Oh, man, so, what could yeah. have been? That would have been amazing. Right. This this piece inspired so much love from a lot of us. I mean, really? Most of us no kidding. It, well, the original piece was beautiful as well in the old Who's Who, you know, right. the first bit. And then this one, though, just blew everyone away. Uh-huh. And it suddenly, we all became ultra fans from your picture. Oh, thanks you know, a most lot. Most of us didn't even have access to the comics. Well, I mean, he's a really unique character. And, and frankly, uh, when I did that piece, I thought there was a lot of potential for him. I think there's a lot of potential for him now. I think if you see... The uh, movie studios, they're, you know, unusual picks. Right. Uh, I remember when uh, Disney first got Marvel, my first thought was they're going to start doing the monsters, you know, as opposed to all the other major characters. Sure. So it's no surprise to me that Groot is now like a household name. Right. And I could see Ultra being the same way. And I was so amused a few years back when Conan O'Brien had singled him out. Did he really? Show. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, just, uh, just Google, Google that. that. Yeah, because yeah. uh, you'll get a big kick out of it. Because oh it even gosh. caught his eye. Okay. Because he's such an unusual character. That is Anyway, too that's funny. very gratifying to hear. I'm, I'm glad everyone enjoys it. They do. They do. Well, thank you so much. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Who's That? A spinoff of the Who's Who podcast. In these spinoffs, we are going to take time to focus in on a single character that either Rob or I discovered through their Who's Who listing. And we're going to look at their history in the DC Universe, and then we're going to decide whether their appearance and who's who was enough, or if there's more to explore. So, Rob, how are you feeling about this one, buddy? There's more to explore. <laughs> I guess we will find out soon. So, it's been a little while since we've done one of these Who's That. I'm very excited about it. I really like these chances to dive deep into the characters, and it gives us a chance to really draw this out so the Who's Who podcast doesn't end till like, 2097. That's fine. <laughs> I'm doing it to make Rob's heart hurt, everybody. <laughs> So we are going to cover Rob. Why don't you tell the people home who we're going to cover? Because this is crazy. Well, we're here to talk about Ultra, the multi-alien. One of my my most favorite, incredibly obscure DC characters. Oh, this is crazy. All right, we've got lots to say. So, but let, before we do that, though, we should take a second to thank our sponsors, folks. Um, this episode of Who's That is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, Rob, what did you bring today? For the 45th time, I am plugging tomorrow's... <laughs> Aquaman, Death of a Prince. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, tomorrow's Silver Age sci-fi companion, uh, which is, of course, uh, you know, all about DC's great Silver Age characters. It's got a cover by Alan Davis and Paul Neary, which you buy, buy it just for that. And it's got Adam Strange and Space Ranger and Captain Comet and Star Hawkins, the uh, the the uh, of the Atomic Knights, plus Ultra the Multi Alien. I'm going to say it like that every time. Uh, <laughs> so- and it, it features rare art by Carmen Infantino, Murphy Anderson, Gil Kane, Sid Green, Mike Sikowski, and many others. I mean, it's just you know these two Marvel's books. They're just utterly delightful. I own a copy of this book. It's really, really fun, and it's a uh, it's uh, like two hundred and something pages. Doesn't let you list the page count here on the book, uh, but the normal price is nineteen ninety five. Normal in stock trades in stock trades price is eleven dollars and ninety seven cents. That is forty percent off. They don't uh, two Mars doesn't really do these books anymore, unfortunately, because apparently DC kind of like clamped down on them, which is a damn shame. Because two Mars did a great job on these, and Silver Age Sci-Fi Companion is uh, is a really, really fun book. It's written by Mike W. Barr who we just talked about last week on our Star Trek show. Uh, We we waxed his Enterprise big time. And so uh, (laughs) this is a a really great book. And like, even though it doesn't feature really any Ultra content, uh, nevertheless, you've got Ultra the Multi-Alien drawn by Paul Davis, Alan Davis and Paul Neary. You can't beat that. It's stunning on the cover. It really is. I I own probably like 10 different Tomorrow's books. And I I get the back issue magazine as well. But the, the books are beautiful and they're lovely resources. And 
the Sci-Fi Companion is one of the ones I own. I don't know that I've actually read any of them cover to cover except for the Sci-Fi Companion. That one I read every single word, every single page. It's that good. It's a really great book. And, um, <laughs> and well, we'll talk about it in a bit, but I, I do love that book. And it is a gorgeous cover. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. Yep. Well, I brought uh, something called Justice League United Trade Paperback Volume 1 subtitled Justice League Canada. And what this is, is during the New 52, they decided to launch a new Justice League book, Justice League United, and it featured Hawkman and Supergirl and Green Arrow and Stargirl and Martian Manhunter and Animal Man, which is a really weird, quirky team. And uh, Adam Strange was part of it, and so was Alana Strange, his wife. Very, very fun. They introduced a new uh, local hero to Canada as well. Anyway, this collects issues 0 through 5. It's published by DC Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, with art by Mike McCone. Page counts 176 pages, full color. Uh, now, Rob, why do you think I'm mentioning this comic? Because uh, it features – it features Ultra the Multigalian. It does, as a baby. He's so <laughs> – I don't – I don't – okay. Yeah, in the new 52 continuity, Ultra was created – it was a genetic creation by Biff, my favorite Thanagarian bad guy. And uh, so, it, you know – I'm sorry, Ultra doesn't really start playing a major role until the following trade paperback, but either way, it's a chance for you to get Bith. It's Mike McCone art, which is great. It's Jeff Lemire, who is a fantastic writer. I mean, he's really, really good. So it's super fun, and I love seeing everyone because a lot of people are wearing blue in this one. I don't quite get it, but just so united, almost everybody's wearing blue, hmm. except for Green Arrow. Anyway, uh, cover price is $16.99, and in stock trades, you can get it for 42% off, which is only $9.85. Heck of a deal. And by the way, did I mention it's got Animal Man? Because Jeff Lemire was also writing the Animal Man book, so he's got a really great capture that voice and i love the animal man character and in this they really make green arrow and animal man like a double act of really funny guys who are like always sniping at each other a lot of fun anyway folks go out to insocktrades.com and pick up these books now we also need to thank our other sponsor which is you people at home uh this episode of who's who is sponsored in part with your help through patreon because you know running the firewater podcast network with rob's drug habits is very very costly that got dark well, yeah, I know. Anyway, because, uh, you know, the online hosting fees, all the service fees, all that kind of stuff. I need and, my Ambien. Exactly. And we've been paying, right, because he talks to me saying he can't sleep. Anyway, we've been paying these bills out of our pockets for a long time. But we asked you guys for help starting last year, and you guys stepped up to the plate amazingly. So thank you so much for those of you who are supporting us. If you're not, you know what? Hey, uh, just take a second to take a look at it. If you enjoy this show or any other shows on our network, it really helps us out. And that's at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And at certain tiers, you will get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water shows, just like, just like these folks. Uh, our thanks to Christopher Lydon, Damian Whiter, Daniel Butnick, Jeremiah Jones-Goldstein, Michael Acheson, Michael O'Brien, my buddy Nathan Archer. Noah Tarnow, Paul Kenzel, Tom Panarese, Richard and George Field, David Ace Gutierrez, and Gord Tolton. Great. And folks, remember, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So thank you so much. All right, Rob, why don't you tell the people at home who is – what? how do you say his name? Ultra the Multi-Alien. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to say it like that every single time. Yeah, we noticed. Yeah. Uh, Ultra the Multi-Alien first appeared in Mystery in Space number 103. Uh, he's a creation of Dave Wood. And Lee Elias, and basically he is a space traveler. I mean, we're going to get into the origin of one of the comics we're going to talk about in a second. But basically he's a space explorer named Ace Arn who gets transformed, transformed into a alien compo- comprising of several different uh, alien races. So he's this sort of – he's not uh, – he's, he's not bifurcated. He's not trifurcated. He's like – 
quadrifated, quadricated, <laughs> yeah. if that's even a word, uh, into multi. Uh, you know, he has all these different parts, and he, he's just a fright. Uh, but <laughs> he is just one of the most obscure characters in the DC universe. He had a brief run in mystery in space. Basically, he ran from issues one hundred three through one ten, and then disappeared entirely for decades, and didn't resurface until. The Who's Who listing, the in the original Who's Who series. Uh, we never have gotten around to finding out why he got a listing. I mean, to be honest, he really didn't deserve one, if you think about it, the way some other characters that had longer runs didn't get one. But he did, even though he only had like eight appearances. I have a feeling somebody on the DC staff just liked him, and yeah. they gave him a listing, and it was one of my... Uh, favorite listings in Who's Who, and part of the reason I love the character so much is because uh, he was improbably chosen uh, to <laughs> to be one of the characters they did a, a little animated mo- uh, video for on the show Video Comics, which is a show that I've talked about numerous times. Uh, we did a whole episode on it uh, for well, FW Presents. I mean, interrupt you because they just heard us saying all this. Uh, similarly, right. in the recap of the episode, and it's funny because in that recap, you keep talking about saying, someday I'm going to find out more about video comics. Someday I'm going to. There you well, go. You have. I have. Yes, we did a whole show on it, and we'll, we will be doing another show on video comics very shortly, by the way, a follow-up show. But yeah, this was something that it – w- it was a character that I only half dimly remembered – from video comics, and then bang, there's his who's who listing. And I was like, whoa, that's that Ultra the Multi-Alien character. And I even bought some of those old issues from Mystery in Space at the first really? comic shop I ever saw. Yeah, because uh, and they had really he, – he got some for, <laughs> for his – so you're sitting there with your coins in your hand. I could first buy. I could buy the first appearance of the Riddler, or I could buy Ultra. Yeah, the well, movie. you know, and you uh, chose Ultra. I, you know, <laughs> kids are stupid. Uh, but I mean, I think DC at the time had high hopes for him because of in the issues that he appeared. I said one hundred through one ten. He got the cover of all but one of those issues. So I think they really thought they had something here. And then clearly they didn't because he disappeared after one ten and never saw him again until Who's Who. But then he resurfaced again. Uh, which is where you discovered it. Well, it, well, I was going to say real quick. By the way, the, those issues one one hundred three through one ten. Not only did he get the covers, they did a bunch of house ads for him. Yep. And the house ads played him up like he was super popular. I don't <laughs> know if that was them just fluffing it for the ad, or whether they gotten a lot of mail, but they made him sound like he was a big deal. So yeah, you get that. Yeah, he did, he had like one panel in history of the DC universe after the Who's Who. But then he reappears in Who's Who uh, of the DC Universe, the Loose Leaf, issue number four, which they just heard us talk about. So, I mean, it's no big surprise here, guys. Uh, published November 1990, drawn by John K. Schneider III. You also just heard John sharing his own thoughts on the piece. But, man, uh, we're going to put this in the show notes uh, so you can see it on the image gallery. Again, if you missed it the first time around, this is an unbelievable piece. John K. Schneider just has a way with really thick lines and just – creates gorgeous, gorgeous works. By the way, I, I do want to describe this, uh, as you said, quadrificated, whatever, character. Uh, in his, well, I, I'm going to say it as you look at it, like not, not necessarily the way his body. Anyway, top left-hand corner, he's green and furry, and that's where he gets his super strength from. Top right-hand quadrant, he's blue and very uh, sleek, and that's where he gets his magnetic powers from. Bottom le- uh, left-hand is he's got a bird leg, or a chicken leg, as some people might call it, with giant talons and feathers. And the bottom right leg is all electricity, and that's where he gets his lightning powers from. Oh, the chicken leg allows him to fly, by the way. And so that he just – he looks like a complete freak. Uh, and so that, that really is what the appeal was, was just this guy looks totally bonkers. And John K. Schneider, 
wow. I mean, the the artistry, the gorgeousness. It looks like an amazing uh, – like you would take this as a – and I don't know if we said this last time. But you would take this as a pitch to a cartoon series, animated series, and say this is what we want to do. And uh, you know, they would green light this thing. It looks so good. Yeah, it's gore. It said it, it rarely has one character uh, this obscure in the DC universe gotten two gangbusters listings because it said the first one by Terry Beatty and Dennis Jensen is great. I mean, again, I really think he is one of these guys who's just like a fan favorite. Uh, I'm not a fan favorite, a, a creator favorite. Yeah. Not, not not a fan favorite, but a creator favorite, which is why somebody like John K. Snyder would do an <laughs> Ultra the Multi Alien. Why else would he do it? The listing, he just crushed it. He just crushed it. Yeah. My, my love, before we before we did this, I've never read a multi story, uh, ultra multi alien story. And uh, this one, this this piece, this who's who's what's driving me to want to do it, this who's who leaf sleeve one, it's just stunning. Yeah, it's wonderful. They're really, really gorgeous. And like I said, it, it's – I just – I love the logo, the multicolored logo. I mean this – I really I, – I really wish there was an ultra action figure because it would be great. <laughs> you have, have to have a stand around its waist to make him stand up. Though, yeah, I know. Right. He doesn't, he's not going to work right. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless. Now, I, I've so, always loved this guy. So in getting ready for this episode, uh, Rob uh, got his hands on the Mystery in Space issues, so we've gone through some of those. Uh, in full disclosure, I have not read all of the appearances, 103 to 110. I've read a few of them. Uh, we'll talk more about that. And then for additional research, I busted out that tomorrow, Silver Age Sci-Fi Companion. I'm like, all right, Ultra's on the cover of this. I read this thing from cover to cover. I cannot wait. I busted that out. Not a word about Ultra in that whole freaking book. Yeah. <laughs> then I busted out my Pulp Fiction Library trade paperback, which reprints Mystery in Space and actually has the Ultra first story in it. So, by the way, if you want to read this first Ultra story, pick up again, it's Pulp Fiction Library Mystery in Space. It's a trade paperback from DC from, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And uh, it's got that Ultra story in there. And there's some text pieces in there. I'm like, okay, great. Now, here, I'm going to dig in on Ultra. The text piece that <laughs> led up to this one gives one line to Ultra. Basically, it says, People love him because he's kooky. Is basically what it said. So research on this character was harder than I thought. But yes, he is a creator favorite, and we'll talk a little more about that as we get further along. Yeah. So as I said, we're going to talk about two of the eight um, is ultra stories. We're going to start at the beginning and then go right to the end to see sort of like how much of the character changed over the course of Mystery in Space, his brief run there. So we're going to start with Mystery in Space number 103, which was from November 1969. It was simply called Ultra the Multi-Alien, by, uh, by mentioned by his creators Dave Wood and Lee Elias. A space pilot named Ace Arn gets trapped in the magnetic pull of an asteroid. His ship crashes on the asteroid surface where he discovers an alien lying dead in a cave named Zobra, the Greek. Four alien crime lords from four different planets are each convinced that Arn is trying to abscond with a powerful weapon they all want called Project Sun, a creation of Zobra's. This weapon can cut off the sun's rays from any planet it is directed at, allowing the, use, the user to blackmail any planet's inhabitants. During an overzealous moment, uh, Zorba shatters a vial of deadly gas, killing him. One of the aliens, aware of this, tries to race to the asteroid where Zorba's lab was so he can get a hold of Project Sun before anyone else. When he arrives, he sees Ace Arn unwittingly looking through Zorba's papers. All four alien crime lords who got there all at the same time zap Arn with a ray that causes him to split into four different beings, each representing one of the races wielding the weapon. Even in his mutated state, Arn defeats the four. Back in Zobra's lab, the now mutated Arn looks through the notes left behind and sees that this transformation he has undergone is sadly permanent. Realizing he cannot go back home to Earth as a hideous freak, Arn decides to fight intergalactic criminals like the ones he just faced. Taking the first letter from the name of every planet these aliens were from and adding his own A, he christens himself Ultra the Multi-Alien. <laughs> so, what do you think of this one? 
I love it. I love this story. Uh, I mean, first of all, I love the artwork by Lee Elias. I think mm-hmm. the artwork is just terrific. It's got a very kind of mellow sort of look to it, almost a little uh, Milton Kniff kind of style, very Terry and the Pirates in some ways, a little bit of Frank Robbins in there too. Beautiful line work. I, I, I don't see any inker credited, so I have to assume that he inked his own work. So I just think it's a gorgeous looking strip. Uh, I mean, the idea is insane. The idea is just it's completely nuts that, like, four aliens would zap him at literally the exact same moment, and that would sort of mutate him into this thing. It, it's just one of DC it, – it's at the time where DC was getting its clock cleaned by Marvel Comics, and they were just throwing anything at the wall to see if it would stick. Uh, whether it was Jason's Quest or Teen Beam or the Maniacs or the Inferior Five, Brother Power the Geek, or Ultra the Multi-Alien. They were like, I don't know, let's try it, see what happens. And I I love his look. I think his coloring is really cool. I, I mean, yes, it's a formula that he's a, a hideous freak and he can't go back to the woman he loves, Bonnie, which is right out of, like, you know, The Thing and Alicia Masters or Metamorpho and Sapphire Stag or whatever. But I don't care. It's, it's a variation on a theme. It, to me, it's the furthest version of that, of just taking a character and making him look just completely hideous and insane. And I just love it. I just love the the weirdness of it the the the, the alien races how much stuff gets thrown at you uh, in just these eight pages uh, I I just I know it, I I'm seeing this through rose colored glasses but I don't care I love Ultra the Melting Alien all right uh, I will say this first story I enjoyed quite a bit I agree about the artwork I think the artwork looks great uh, there's there's one panel I just keep getting hung up on so go to page six there's this one great panel where it's uh, it's after the Bob Hope ad, by the way. Um, <laughs> where it's the third panel, and it's the bad guy just sitting there contemplating what he's going to do when he's got like his fingers on his chin mm-hmm. and his head's tilted forward. He's just got this evil-ass look on his face. And I just – I don't know why. That panel, I just freaking love it. And so I, I really do dig the art, and I love the kookiness of it. I love his design. He looks like a, you know, a complete freak like he's supposed to, and I love the, I love the tragic hero kind of stuff. So that's fine. All that's super fun. And I'm glad you brought up Marvel because that did occur to me after I read this story, uh, more so the subsequent ones. But and I'm like, okay, wait, 1965 had some amazingly uh, amazing X-Men stories, some amazing Avengers stories, stuff that we reread for the digests actually from 1965. And I really like that period. Like 65 to 68 gets really, really good in Marvel. So this, it really does feel like a throwback to more, you know, classic Silver Agey type stuff compared to what Marvel's putting out at the time. Now, I do have some just funny little elements here. Like, for example, the, he, he, he's flying along and he gets caught in this tail of a comet, right? And it drags him to another solar system. So I started thinking about that. Because when he comes back to Earth, like, only a few weeks have passed. And I'm thinking, Haley's Comet takes 75 years just to travel around our solar system, let alone get to the next one. So wouldn't it take the comet like hundreds or thousands of years to take him to the next solar system realistically? You really are, can't get bogged down by this. I mean, <laughs> okay, the guy's right. got a chicken leg for Pete's sake. <laughs> All right. Uh, things I did like. Uh, I liked that you know the whole time we're following um, this bad guy who's contemplating going, you know what? The scientist has died. If I go to this comet and I steal his formula, I will become you know, super you know, invincible. And they go there, and of course he finds you know, uh, Arn there. But all of a sudden, the other three bad guys all show up at the same time. I like that they didn't telegraph that. They didn't tell us everybody was racing there. Right. It was just the one bad guy. So when all four of them show up and zap him at the same time, it's kind of a nice surprise. You're like, oh, they're all there. So I thought that was actually from a story point structure. I thought that was really nice. I liked that. Yeah. I said it, it, he, Dave Wood packs a lot into eight, page, eight yes, pages. Eight pages. 
He's very creative with his aliens, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way he chose the name Ultra with the letters. I thought that was a really uh, a clever, again, tool by the writer to put that together. Now, I do think it's funny that you know he gets zapped, right, and all four parts of his body represent him of the, of the bad guys, except for the underwear. Where's the underwear going yeah, from? All of a sudden, he gets white underwear, yeah, which, yeah. which Gun K. Snyder does not include, by the way. Yes, I know, yeah, which makes more sense without yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it was fun. It, it was fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I then made the mistake of going on and reading the second story. Which is where the formula starts to really grate on my yes. nerves. Yeah, because the second story is very much it feels exactly like a like a like a really cheesy Silver Age Superman. Sorry, sorry, Superman fans. Uh, a cheesy Superman sort of plot driven story where he can do anything. He's suddenly a super scientist. He can all of his powers are exactly right. He knows one weird quirky bit of science to save the day, and it's just it reads exactly like this, the silver age Superman stories. I can't stand. And uh, there's one great part because Bonnie, right. is his lady love. He goes home and sees Bonnie and uh, he's just like, Oh, there's the woman I love. Oh, well, so long, honey, forget me and find yourself a husband. We live in different worlds now and I've got a job to do. What? Yeah. And she doesn't know any of this. It's not right? like, yeah, yeah. He's talking to himself. So yeah. long, honey. It's just like, wow. Now she does come back in a reoccurring role. And by the time we get to the next story we cover, we do find that they have reconnected actually. Right. But, uh, but it's the second story was so dismissive of their romance. It's like, oh, well. And, uh, but yeah, I, I love the first story. Didn't care for the second one, and I kind of started fading out and then came back to the last one. I do want to mention one last thing about the, the oh, first sure. story is I love the cover of Mystery in oh, Space yeah, 103. It's, it's just him on this black background, and there's four inset panels of all the aliens zapping to him. And it's like, thrill to ultra super strength. You'll be drawn to his magnetic force. See him fly like a bird and dazzled by his lightning power. Like, I want this on a T-shirt. I might even make this on a T-shirt if I can find somebody that will just print it for me without asking any questions because I just I just think the image is so beautiful. I just love the colors. I love the, the pale blue and the bright green and the orange and the yellow. It's just – but but I agree that as of the second story, it falls into kind of a formula pretty quickly, and that's unfortunate because I when you have a character this weird, I think you really do your best to just – Go crazy with it, but of yeah. course they were like, "Okay, now we got to kind of make him like a lot of other, other our other characters." Yeah, he basically became Space Superman. I mean, everybody yeah. like, you know, we've got trouble. Call Ultra, and yeah. he comes racing out there, and yeah. he's and it's all very. I mean, there's no real characterization. It's all about I have to do the right thing. I have to go save the citizens, and it's like, why? Why is that your job? You know, and it's a uh, yeah, it's it's hard. But the but I will say by the time the next story we're gonna do. There was definitely a progression. The first yes. one, the art really got sharper and got kind of cool. And uh, I mean, not that it wasn't good initially, but I really like he, he developed a style for the character. And some of the patter that he uses, his language becomes a little uh, a little funny. He's got some quips and stuff. It's good. I like it. All right. Oh, this oh this one. I read this one, don't I? That's right. See, I know I understand how this works. Okay. So, Mystery in Space number one ten from September nineteen sixty six. The story is called The Pied Piper of Pluto by Otto Bender and Lee, oh, so a different writer. Interesting. Okay, and Lee Elias. Now the cover is got a blue background, and uh, in the foreground you've got Ultra, and he's struggling. He's been wrapped up in this coiled serpent, this giant red serpent with his big tongue. And in the background, there's a man dressed up like a you know, alien Pied Piper playing his music with all kinds of tweets and woots coming out of it. And uh, and Ultra's thinking, Sizzle and Saturn, the Pied Piper has piped up a sea serpent from under the ground. So uh, I, I love this cover. I love the serpent. I think the serpent looks really, really great. 
Oh, I love the colors. I love these mystery in space covers. Like they're just beautiful. They're just super pop art, and just the, you know, all the colors are one hundred percent saturated. And I think they're just a, they're they're insane looking, which is what I love about them. See, I would I think this one would make a better T shirt myself. But and you got the go go checks across the top. You do have the go go checks. That's nice. All right, so getting into it. Back in Dalesville, in a secret mountain lair of Captain Ace Arn, a.k.a. Ultra the Multi-Alien, our hero uses his newfound hyperconverter to turn back into his original form so he can keep a date with his sweetheart, Bonnie. Then, back on Pluto, however, trouble is brewing. Various people are lured away from their jobs, following a siren song filling the air. Even the Plutonian police force fall under its spell. One of the police send out a distress call to Ultra, and that means Ace Arn has to postpone seeing Bonnie so he can investigate. Arriving on Pluto, Ultra sees lines of people marching against their will, hypnotically following a Pied Piper and two armed guards. He makes quick work of the armed men, but then the Pluto Piper uses his magical flute to call forth a winged purple dragon and sticks it on Ultra. Now, while battling it, the Piper and his disciples disappear. Ultra turns back into Ace and hides among the group of farmers. He bets that the Pluto Piper will go after next. Plugging his ears so the flute cannot call, uh, the call cannot affect him, he follows the group into a cave and boards a massive spaceship. The Pluto Piper explains to his captives what his goal is, to rule a planet. He tells his story about how he tried to conquer different worlds only to be met in defeat. He then wandered uh, the universe, finding a quiet, unpopulated planet, perfect to rule, except there's no people. So the Pluto Piper has decided to fill the planet with slaves so he can finally have people to conquer. Arn, hearing enough of this nonsense, turns back into Ultra and attacks. But the Pluto Piper uses a powerful ray to send the ship and everyone in it to the planet which the Piper has named Perfectia which Rob also calls his new apartment. Uh, Ultra, dazed from the trip, hides behind a rock so he can recover. In the meantime, the Pluto Piper puts his slaves to work, building a society. After after defeating another fearsome creature under the Piper's control, which is, by the way, the giant serpent on the cover, which is the best part that Rob skipped from his recap, Ultra grabs the Piper's flute. In response, the Piper decides to try and blow up the dimensional portal connecting the world and the one they came from, straining everyone on this world. Ultra plays the flute himself, luring everyone back onto the ship. He grabs the controls and blasts off, getting everyone through the tunnel in the nick of time. With the Pluto Piper now the only being on this planet, he curses the fates and Ultra for ruining his plans of conquest. And for his part, Ace Arn returns to Dalesville, ready to keep his date with Bonnie. All right. Now, uh, I, I'm going to jump in here first. There's a couple different things that I just thought were awesome in this one. The giant ship that they all board, actually on the on the bow of the ship, it actually says Dimensional Barge, <laughs> which I just think is like the coolest name for a spaceship ever. I love that. Uh, and then the, the part you skipped in the recap where he fights the serpent. It's incredible. So this giant serpent from the cover, it's a gorgeous panel on page 11 where the serpent is coming from the ground and wrapping around him. It's basically the cover, you know, the panel, what they base the cover on. It looks fantastic. And let me tell you, he he is exceptional at drawing this serpent. If you go to page 12, look at the serpent's face when his mouth is open. He's getting ready to bite or you look when he's getting zapped by the electricity or when he's coughing. The serpent – I mean this guy should be drawing like Dungeons and Dragons or something or stories about dragons. They look so good. Yeah, I mean the, I think this is – Lee Elias's work is just startling on this strip. I mean yeah, we'll, really we'll get into a little bit and do some of his other work. But man, he he just – he just crushed it on this on this ultra strip. I mean, I mean the amount of ideas that were uh, the writers were throwing Dave Wood through all of these, and then Otto Binder for this one final story were throwing at him were just uh, prodigious. And I mean, yeah, the Pluto Piper is pretty goofy looking, uh, sure. but but uh, but yeah, you're right. The the, the sequence with the, uh, the the sort of serpent is just beautiful. 
Yeah, and it's 1965. You know, e- even though I mean, even in Marvel, the bad guys, even where the, st- where the stories are more compelling, the bad guy still looks silly. So I don't mm. care if the Pluto Piper looks like that. This was a fun story. Uh, I felt he, and maybe it was the writer who really amped it up. But you know, I, um, uh, Ultra. I mean, he's got a lot of quips. He's like making smart remarks. He's like, you know, I'm going to wipe the floor with you, even if it makes the floor dirtier. You know, and just it's really fun and and, pe- and peppy. And I, I was kind of surprised that this is the last one. I'm like, wow, they've really hit a groove here. This would have been a great way to keep going. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the only one we got, or the last one we got. The only thing I find is a little bit of a cheat is that he has the that hype or hypno disc hypno disc thing where yeah. he can convert back and forth at will. That really does kind of kind of blow up the whole point of ultra was that he is cursed to be this hideous form and you know he's away from his wife not his wife but away from his love so i mean being able to just transform back and forth really does kind of like you're like well then what's the point of this like i mean the whole thing but aside from the end of that i have to feel that maybe dave wood just after a couple of stories realized oh shoot this is really limiting so i'm just going to come up with this deus es machina and have him be able to go back and forth at will i'm like i mean imagine if they could do that with the thing it would just ruin the pathos if you could just be like okay i'm gonna go out with alicia boom and turn your thing ring do your thing and he goes back i mean it wouldn't work (laughs) but aside from that cheat I still really enjoy these stories, and again, I get the work by Lee Elias is just startling. I I'm glad you mentioned the dimensional barge. I mean, just the detail he puts into it. You see mm-hmm. on the the, uh, the 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 bridge of the ship, or like the the prow, whatever I forget the name of the front of the ship is. But there's all these like designs and like filigrees that he put in. Like it looks like carvings. Like he didn't have to do all that. He could have just drawn like a like a smooth front. But he puts all this detail into it. It's just he really did great work on this strip. Yeah, it's really it's really breathtaking. He he did a really nice job. I think that he was getting better with every one of the strips, and I think by this one he's really got a gorgeous style down. And I think uh, Auto Binder was a really good fit for him as a writer. Yeah, well, it's curious as Dave Dave Wood wrote all the stories but one. I wonder why he moved off just before they got rid of him, or maybe they were planning to get rid of him. Dave Wood was like, I'm just going to move on to other things, and they just needed somebody to do one more. And Otto Binder <laughs> was kind of like a, you know, an old hand, so we'll just get Otto to do it or something. I don't know. Could be. Could be. Well, as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I've got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's that's his whole run for Mystery in Space, and, and for two decades, that was the sum total of Ultra's appearances in comic books. So then you get Who's Who, and that amazing Who's Who, again, if, the first one's fine, but the second one's really what blew me away. And, you know, as you heard John K. Schneider say, he even had a pitch for an ongoing series or stories or something for uh, Ultra, which I think would have been amazing because he had this idea where Ultra couldn't speak. Uh, Ultra thought in pictograms and everything like that because, you know, on the back of that Who's Who, there was a pictogram of him thinking about Bonnie, not words. And so that would have been an interesting take of Ultra. Another aspect of the freak, you know, sort of like the early Swamp Thing stories where Swamp Thing couldn't talk. Remember, mm-hmm. and uh, that would be you know, at least the earliest one, the, ho- the, the the very first House of Mystery one. You know, I'm talk- um, I think it was he, he couldn't speak, uh, and that would be a really interesting angle to go with the character. And I, I wish we could have saw that, but instead, I'm sorry, did you have something you want to say? No, just, yeah, I, I first of all, House of Secrets, by the way, for Swamp Thing. Uh, oh, but but yeah, I mean that that would have been I would have been fine with that. There really isn't a, enough you know history of Ultra to like say, oh no, that's violating the core concept. There really is not much <laughs> core concept, so that would have been perfectly fine if they had tried that. I mean, it would have been worth it just to get a book of Ultra drawn by Con- John K. Snyder. I mean, oh, I would have been, it would have been like, do whatever you want, buddy. I just want to see what this looks like. If you want some good John K. Snyder stuff, by the way, go find the 1990s Classics Illustrated comics he did. They were like a perfect bound. They were larger size. They were done really sharp. 
Oh my God. I think it was Jekyll and Hyde. Maybe yeah, he, he did, did Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he just goes all out guys. It's stunning. So freaking good. So, all right. So ultra then, as we said, go appears in who's who, then he disappears. However, I think, and I, I, I chalk char- this down to hit the popularity of the Who's Who entry. Maybe I'm wrong, but he does show up later. Something inspired people to bring him back. Maybe it was the kookiness of the character. Maybe it's the Who's Who entry. I don't know. But he shows up in the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon, right? Yep. Um, the Siege of Starro Part 1, yeah. Right. Now, he was just a background character, though, right? He didn't. Do no, he doesn't have any lines, unfortunately. Okay. But you do see him. You do see him fighting an intergalactic battle. <laughs> and then he was in Superman Unbound. I don't know. It's an animated movie. I have not seen it, but there's apparently a scene with Brainiac where he has a bunch of people, like subjects trapped in a lab, and you see Ultra in the background, apparently like in a test tube or something. Too fun. Too fun. And then he's got a bunch of cameos in different books, like Animal Man number 25, he's got a small bit. Starman number 55, has got a small bit. Superman, Batman number 31. Uh, We've already talked about Justice League United. Uh, And then Scooby-Doo Team-Up. And that was one – that wasn't just with Ultra. That was with a bunch of aliens, right? I I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So it really the, the the thing that I wanted to narrow in on a little bit, again, Justice League United, done by Jeff Lemire, guys. So Jeff Lemire is well-known for a lot of real quirky independent stuff as well as the big DC stuff. Like uh, Sweet Tooth was a big, big book he did. It was – I guess you don't really call it independent if DC published it, but it was a real quirky, independent, small, kind of small press sort of thing. Anyway, uh, back when he was doing that, back all the way back in 2011, he got invited to contribute to a Vertigo anthology called Strange Adventures, and he actually did an eight-page uh, multi ultra the multi alien story and that was it was a challenge apparently from the editor Mark Doyle to see if he could do one based on the strangest character in DC history as I described him so that's really cool so find the Strange Adventures anthology from Vertigo and you'll find the eight page story about Ultra written and drawn by uh, Jeff Lemire Pretty it's not cool. bad it's it's sad like it's a sad story but it it uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was oh so you've actually read it yes okay, I have. yeah. And then there's a few other places that are worth note, Rob. What do you tell us about? Uh, yeah, he apparently was listed in Wizard Magazine as a Mort of the Month, which is that thing where they find a character and basically just dump on him. And so uh, much like Ultra, taking some various letters, I'm going to take the letters F and U and send that over to Wizard. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Don't pick on Ultra. And speaking of picking on Ultra, Conan O'Brien, <laughs> of all people, did a segment on his late night show in December 2010 that featured some of the weaker DC characters in the DC universe, and O'Brien calls Ultra a effing mess. <laughs> I, you know, all right. I, I'm just a, I, as as someone who has been defending Aquaman for so long and no longer has to. I feel like I need to stick up for somebody else, and uh, you know, I'm going to stick up for Ultra. I mean, I know that Conan's just trying to be funny, uh, but some of the other characters also get thrown in, like Batlash. They make fun of Batlash, and Batlash is awesome. So. They're- that is not cool. That yeah, I'm a little else. dubious on this segment, but I also understand they're just trying to have fun, so I'm not going to take it too too terribly seriously. But yeah, nevertheless, Ultra the Ultra the Multi Alien was mentioned on Conan O'Brien. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, watch for coming soon the Ultra Shrine blog by Rob Kelly. That's true. I would if I could do it. If I had time, <laughs> I would do it. Uh, and I do want to talk just briefly about the creators in terms of their backgrounds. Of course, there's Dave Wood. Uh, who wrote, created, the, presumably co-created the character with Lee Elias. He had a lot of credits. They're stretching all the way back into like the 50s, mostly genre stuff. Not well, superheroes are genre, but not everything but superheroes for the most part. He wrote a lot of Tomahawk, a lot of war comics. He did write Green Arrow, so that is superheroes. But again, it's like kind of like slightly more earthbound. Animal Man. 
but Animal Man. Animal Man. But but get this, Dave Wood had a hand in creating a number of really interesting characters. He co-created Robbie Reed from Dial H M Hero. Wow. He he co-created Animal Man. No way. Yes, okay. he did. Yes, the terrible trio, the Batman villains. Mm-hmm. He possibly even co-created the Challengers of the Unknown, since he wrote the first Challenger story with Jack Kirby. Oh, wow. nobody is really sure exactly about that. I mean, you know, with a lot of collab- collaborations with Kirby, it might have just been Jack Kirby's like, "Here, here's the thing I came up with. Write a story." Like, okay, <laughs> but nevertheless, Dave Wood for for a name that a lot of people really don't know, even probably people with extensive comic book knowledge have never heard of this guy. I, ha- he, I hadn't. He's got his hands in a lot of characters that are still popular today. I mean, Dial H for Hero is back, and Animal Man, and the Challenges of the Unknown, and so you know, this guy was pretty, pretty. Pretty creative. Uh, his last credit was in 1974. Um, I don't know when. I presumably he's no longer with us. I was not able to find that information. But man, a guy had you know, it's a lot of good stuff in there. That's pretty yeah. good. So good for him. And then Lee Elias, his career goes back even further. He has credits all the way back to All Star Comics, the original series. He worked on Adam Strange, Green Arrow, much with like Dave Wood, Tommy Tomorrow, the Blackhawks, Power Man, the Human Fly. So hey, Max, uh, Romance <laughs> Comics, Mystery Comics. His last credit was in 1984. He died in 1998. He co-created Eclipso with oh, Bob Haney. So that's pretty this. cool. And in a more personal note, he taught at the Joe Gilbert School. Uh, oh, crap, he did really? not. He did not teach when I was there, which is a uh, damn shame because that would have been that would have been awesome. Wait, uh, did you go to the Joe Kubert School? Yes, I know that's shocking to everybody, but I did. I don't talk about it a lot. It's never but, but, but yes, he taught at the School of Visual Arts and the Joe Kubert School. So uh, I will I will try and reach out to some of the other alumni of the school that maybe were taught by him because I would love to know what he was like as a teacher because I think he's a masterful artist. Very interesting. Okay. Wow. Well, we are wrapping up our coverage here of Ultra, and Rob, as we do, uh, at least I think we do, uh, every time we do one of these Who's That, the question is, was the appearance in Who's Who enough, or was there more to explore? Your answer, sir? Oh, to me, there's more to the, more to explore with this guy. I think there's a whole lot here. Uh, if you can get past the inherent goofiness of it, and I think you can, uh, I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot to be found here, and I think that the fact that he got two superb Who's Who listings says a lot about him. And here's, folks, where I get kicked off the Christmas card list. Uh, this is the first time in any of the Who's Hats, Who's That, where I'm going to say the Who's Who entry was enough. I, you are dead to me, sir. I know. I know. That, no, that John K. Schneider Who's Who entry is better than any of these damn stories. I'm sorry. <gasps> I, I, I did just rattle off for the last 45 minutes the things I liked about the series, so I did enjoy aspects of it. But nothing is ever going to beat that John K. Schneider entry. I'm sorry. That For me, that is the pinnacle right there. So I do recommend you guys go out and read them. They are fun, but you're not going to get the same joy you get as the, the Who's Who entry. Well, enjoy my new host of Who's That with me, me and Dr. Ange. It's going to be very exciting starting in Episode 5, everybody. Perfect. Uh, Well, on that note, as me and Rob go renegotiate our contract, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, if I'm still here, uh, we are going to cover your feedback on the last episode of Who's That, where we talked about the Western hero, Johnny Thunder. Ultra the (laughs) multi-alien. In 2014, two comic fans joined forces to do a Doom Patrol podcast. As there was no Doom Patrol comic series at the time, they called it Waiting for Doom. That was us, me, Mike, and him, Paul. In 2016, DC Comics became fearful of the power of Waiting for Doom and sought to appease us by bringing the comic back. Uh, That's not exactly how it went. 
In 2018, terrified of the sheer horde organizing power of Waiting for Doom, DC Universe announced a Doom Patrol TV show. Uh, I think they were planning that without us. In 2019, they again brought back the Doom Patrol comic, hoping we would not smite them. Uh, This makes no sense. In 2021, they realised we were the most unstoppable force in existence and released the Doom Patrol movie. Uh, This is pure fantasy now. In 2022, a terrified Motion Picture Academy awarded the Doom Patrol movie every single Oscar, including Best Documentary and Foreign Language Film. That's enough, Paul. Look, we just love the Doom Patrol and have fun talking about them. You can find us on all podcast places and now Spotify. And check out our website, WaitingForDoom.com, or we will wipe you out, all of you. All right, folks, uh, surprisingly, I'm still here, and we're here, but Rob's not talking to me, so we're recording the second. Angie's in surgery right now. I can't bother him. So we're recording Who's Who, How's and Why's. Again, we're here to talk about the Western hero, Johnny Thunder. Now, we're just going to be pulling your comments from our website and emails we receive. Rob, when you cover the first one? Yes, first up is from our friend Tom Panarese, who does Pop Culture Affidavit, Required Reading with Stella and a lot more. He says, great job with the Johnny Thunder episode. Western books and westerns in general aren't my thing, but listening to you talk about these comics made me want to flip through a few issues of Jonah Hex and some other western books I own. You talked about reprints, and I want to throw in a recommendation for the greatest 1950s stories ever told it's a great collection that includes some superhero stuff with superman batman wonder woman and the flash more importantly it has sci-fi romance war funny animals gorillas and westerns the johnny thunder story is the unmasking of johnny thunder from all american western 121 with art by alex toth and sid barry you can get it secondhand and the price isn't astronomical so i recommend checking it down thanks for a great episode and looking forward to the next thank you tom Oh, man, that Johnny Thunders, Alex Toast, so freaking good. Yeah. All right. Then we heard from Alan W. Wright from theboldoutlaw.com, which is all about Robin Hood. Alan writes in – now, all right, I got to preface this. Alan writes in about a potential Johnny Thunder TV series that almost happened. Now, I don't know whether Alan made this up or not. Uh, I, I've done as research as, as I can. I can't find anything on it. And he phrases it as this. Of course, in an – in another timeline, there was almost a Johnny Thunder TV series. So I don't know if he's made this whole thing up or he's saying that it almost happened. Anyway, here's what he wrote. Producer Whitney Ellsworth was looking to follow up the adventures of Superman with a TV show that had a similar secret identity component, and Johnny Thunder seemed the perfect marriage of that and the popular TV Western format. Ellsworth approached up-and-coming TV actor Rick Dalton to play the part of Johnny, but Dalton passed. It turns out that Dalton had assumed that it would be based off the bow-tie-wearing goofball that he read as a kid, and Dalton hated that version of Johnny Thunder. Instead, Dalton starred in the cowboy series Bounty Law, uh, spun off from a guest appearance as bounty hunter Jake Cahill on The Restless Gun. I really hope that story's true. No, it's not. you're, You're not catching that reference? No, no. Okay, because he's talking about Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton is the character played by Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now Who was the star in Western TV shows? Okay, so that would be me being an idiot because I haven't seen that movie. Okay. Darn it. I was really hoping that story was true because it made a lot of sense. It sounded plausible until you get to Rick Dalton. I went, wait, what? So, okay. But it sounded plausible up until that point. Well, Alan's a funny guy. So, thank you, Alan. You have now given me a (laughs) chuckle. So, all right. (laughs) Then we heard from Eddie, just Eddie. 
I hope it's from Eddie and the Cruisers. But anyway, Eddie says, a month or so after finding your site, and now I'm hunting down Western comics, and I'd place them after romances in the list of comics I thought I would never read. Enjoy the podcast and can't wait to listen to the past episodes. Well, thank you, Eddie. Welcome aboard. Very cool. Uh, Chris Franklin from our network, of course, he writes in to say, according to Mike's Amazing World, it looks like Johnny's creators are probably original writer Robert Kaniger and artist Alex Toth. Looks like Toth stayed on the strip for a long time, and Kane took over after it moved to All-Star Western in issue 84. He took it over from Mad Magazine legend Mort Drucker. What an artistic legacy. Uh, and I uh, think and I think I read somewhere that one reason Johnny got a new outfit was because of his fringed buckskin look was very similar to the Trigger Twins who coexisted in the same book for years. Mm. When I was a kid, I assumed Gil Kane's art had changed a lot since his Silver Age work, which I saw in DC Digest, to his then-current Superman sort of Adam look. But in art like these scans where he inked himself, I often see he was he was often heavily inked by smooth artists like Joe Gillis, Sid Green, etc. This looks closer to later day Kane than the middle-aged Silver stuff often did. Great show. Thank you for the information, Chris. Yeah, that's wonderful. Then we're from Mike Dynas, and he says, uh, I was never really into Western comics as a kid, and when I first encountered uh, Gil Kane in the Bronze Age, I found his stuff too heavy for my taste. The black inks just seemed to be too much for the characters, or so I thought. But after hearing this episode and seeing the image scans, I really makes me want to hunt down more Johnny Thunder comics and check out more Gil Kane earlier artwork. It, sound, it all sounded and looked fantastic. I don't think I ever knew about Starhawks either, and it looks amazing. I guess I'm off to go to the long box diving. Thanks for the informative show, and keep up the great work. By the way, I pimped that Starhawks book on that last episode we did. That's right. And I found uh, a reprint series of it when I was out shopping and uh, in one of my visits, and so I've got that now. Very exciting. Right, very cool. Uh, Ward Hill Terry says, uh, this was a great exploration of an underappreciated strip. Like Chris, it sent me right away to Mike's Amazing World Praise Be His Site, <laughs> which I, I enjoyed. Oh, jeez. That was good. I like that. Uh, one of my petty annoyances is the shorthand fans use when talking about comics in the 50s and 60s, where companies like Archie and Harvey had very strong house styles, and Marvel, by whatever name, was all under the editorial hand of Stan Lee. DC, a.k.a. National, was different. DC had about half a dozen editors who were in charge of their books. So it's not fair or accurate to say something like, in the 50s, DC had Superman do such and such, but in the 60s, DC had Superman do so-and-so. DC had little to do with those decisions. It was more at Weinzinger. So I wanted to find out who the editor was for Johnny Thunder. It was Julius Schwartz. Cool. Using Mike's amazing database, one can see that All-Star Western was canceled at about the same time that Julie got new books to edit. He took over Sensation Comics with the January-February 52 issue and brought out Rex the Wonder Dog the same month. <gasps> <laughs> the last All-American Western is June-July 52, and the first Phantom Stranger debuts in August-September 52. Three new books to edit. Something's got to go. I kept scrolling. Julie doesn't edit his first superhero story until Showcase 13, The Flash, March 1958. And then he says, update. Schwartz also have to get, also gave up the title Jimmy Wakely with the July-August issue, so his workout only increased by one buck. Interesting. I wish I could do that at my job. Yeah, really. That <laughs> Just awesome. give up projects I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like doing this. I'm giving this one up. Okay. All right. Julie's a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, I got to meet him one time. So I was neat. Uh, they were here from Centaurin, or Adam Ackerman. He says, as a person from Ohio, I had to point out that Annie Oakley as a, uh, was a person who was famous for shooting coins. Because we talked about that. I said, could anyone actually shoot coins? And uh, he gave us a link to a YouTube video because they actually shot film of her in 1894 doing it. Whoa. So, yeah, you go out to our site and uh, find the YouTube link. That's pretty cool. 1894. 
Right? Oh, that's like, oh, that was, you were what, 15, 16 years old at that point? <laughs> Something I vaguely remember it. Uh, Edo Posnar says, yeah, I can't believe it's been a year since the last episode. You guys surely need to do these more frequently. They're really fun. As for the Western Johnny Thunder, at this point, all I can say is I've still read only the Whatever Happened to feature in DCCP, which is, as I recall, pretty damn good and beautifully drawn by Mr. Kane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what got us started. I'm interested in reading more stories with him just because, if I'm being honest, I'm interested in seeing all of that earlier art by Toth, Kane, and yes, Chris, as Chris notes above, Mark Drucker. By the way, DC ran a Johnny Thunder series in the early 1970s, 1973, I think, that only lists three issues and featured all reprints, so stories with art not only by Kane, but also Toth and Drucker. There's also a few stories featuring another Western character called the Nighthawk. The only reason I know that is because I once found out about the existence of these series. I thought it might be a cheap way to get some of these stories, and I was disappointed to find that back issues aren't necessarily cheap, or when they are, the postage to Europe prices them out of what I'm willing to spend for single issues. Uh, also nice to hear a plug for Starhawks by Goulart and Kane. I have the complete collection book uh, published in the early aughts by Hermes Press, the one that has this odd oblong format that makes it hard to put on a shelf. I haven't sat down to read it yet, but I flipped through it a few times. The art is gorgeous. Yeah, it's stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. I don't remember which printing I have, and I don't have it nearby, but uh, it's a cool, cool book. Uh, then we heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel, and she says, I had no idea who this guy was, uh, and then goes on to talk about cowboy stuff, because I guess, because um, I'm a southerner, I never got into cowboys much, say, except for Lone Ranger, Zorro, Two-Gun Kid, Phantom Rider, and Jonah Hex. So, And then uh, she wraps up by saying, other characters in Who's Who who caught her eye was Captain X, which I wanted to give a shout-out to, because that's uh, tied into Firestorm. Very nice. Oh, that's right. Thank you, Liz. Yeah. Uh, Martin Gray from the Two Dangerous World Girl blog says, brilliant episode. I echo the calls to produce these more often. I've not read much Johnny Thunder, but boy, the art is gorgeous. Horses wish they were drawn by Gil Kane. I once, <laughs> I once sat with Gil Kane as he drew a horse. Here's the result. And then he send, he, uh, Martin sent us a link to this picture. I, I want to hear that whole story. That's sat with Gil Kane? That sounds amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. And he says, Tarnation. I thought Hoot Owl was a well-known term. It's almost like you've never heard of the famous actor Hoot Gibson. <laughs> I, I, Martin. Come on. He, knows, I, he knows so much crap we have no idea. I have heard of Hoot Gibson, but for Pete's sakes. And then he says, well done to Rob on two, two degrees of the love boat. We should make Challenge Rob a regular feature, i.e. annual. <laughs> I don't even remember that. Did I do t- six degrees? No, I don't remember what that was either. Martin, you have to educate us about that. I don't remember exactly what you're referring to. The fact is uh, we record these things completely drunk, and we don't remember anything. Even in editing, we don't catch it. And so we, we have no idea what we said. <laughs> But speaking of uh, that, <laughs> that's it, folks. So thank you so much for your feedback. Rob, tell them where they should go out to leave feedback on Ultra the Multi-Alien. You go to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And I think Rob is looking for legal representation so he can terminate our contract. So if anyone's a lawyer, feel free to let Rob know. So. Uh, we, we know a couple of lawyers. so We do, actually. <laughs> I'm going to get this done. So anyway, next episode of Who's That? I can't wait because we are going to cover <gasps> – Wait, we haven't decided who we're going to cover on the next Who's That issue. And you know who's going to decide, Rob? Uh, me. Me. It's no. going to be me. Incorrect. The oh. people at home. Yes, folks, we are going to run a Patreon poll. So watch for it very soon. And we are going to put out a number of different characters for you to select from. And you guys will get to decide who we cover on the next Who's That. And these are going to be characters where, again, something in the Who's Who entry inspired us to want to read more about the character. So the, the germ of our love came from the Who's Who entry, at least for one of us. And that's what you guys are going to get to pick, which one we cover in the next episode. So watch for that. Go out to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Look for the poll. And Vote and let us know. Please don't make it punch and Julie. Please. <laughs> Shh. 
quiet. We are not telling people who's going to be on the poll. All right. So anyway, okay. folks, uh, go out to our website also, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can see some of the images from these ultra, the multi-alien stories, which will be great. Uh, I guess that's going to do it, Rob. Mm-hmm. All right. Until next time, folks. Who's next? Ultra the multi-alien. Uh, interesting story. Basically, this dude gets zapped by four aliens, and they all have these duplicator guns. And what the duplicator guns do is they duplicate who you are, and when you shoot someone, they sort of turn into you. And four different people were shooting at the four different aliens were all shooting at the same time. So basically, he split into four quadrants, <laughs> and each one's different. One half is like a like maybe a green lizard man with white hair, and other side's like a smooth blue half. Then one leg's like electricity, and the other leg's like a bird feathery talon thing. It's hilarious. <laughs> we do not know uh, how his wang was affected. Yikes. Well, you had to go there. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, Rob. Uh, Ultra is, the multi-alien is actually a focus point of the Justice League United New 52 comic book on the shelves right now. The formerly Justice League Canada book. Ultra the multi-alien is a major... I had no idea. Yeah, I had it's a no idea at all. Ultra huh. is a genetically engineered child who was created based on several different races to have all their different traits. And now he's in the protection of the Justice League United. Can you hear me rolling my eyes? And the Legion of Superheroes are on their way back in time to come murder him. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> okay. So, so tell me tell me why you love this guy so much. All right. I discovered this guy through the aforementioned video comic series, that Nickelodeon show, Jeez. where they read comics on the air. Yeah, yeah. And they, for some reason, they picked Ultra the Multi-Alien stories. And I still, in my head, can hear the announcer, Ultra the Multi-Alien. And <laughs> I just... I just love the concept. It's just so ridiculous that yeah, I love it. Is. it. Yeah, it is. And I just love his visual. I just, I just find it utterly charming. I love the original artwork was was done by um, Lee Elias, who stuff whose stuff I always really liked. I think Lee Elias had died by this point, so they couldn't get him back to do this listing. Terry Beatty and Dennis Nissen do a great job. They sort of give it a sort of old schooly look. I mean, Terry Beatty had an old schooly look, so he couldn't Why? help it. I like the. I, see, I felt it was kind of cutting edge because it looks all kind of sketchy and. and really? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, it looks cool. like, kind of old school. I mean, it's again. I mean it as a compliment. It's not meant as a knock. But I mean, they got Terry Beatty to do the terrible trio, and that was purposely <sighs> a, freaking gaming nightmares. Fifties looking look. So I think that's what they're doing here. I love his logo, his multicolored logo, the different fonts. I just love everything about this guy. I just think it's just it's just one of those like, like fun little corners of the DCU. The stories were very simple. And I like that whoever wrote this decided to give him a happy ending because it says, Though his whereabouts are currently unknown, it is presumed that Arn married his fiancée, Bonnie Denton Blake, and is living happily ever after. Oh, sorry, he could transform back and forth between human and ultramill, couldn't he? Yeah. Now, he never appeared in like a JLA issue or anything? No, as far as I know, as far as I know, he only ever appeared in Mystery in Space, oh. in the, his feature in Mystery in Space. So Now, if I'm remembering correctly, and we'll find out in about four years or so, um, I think the ultra multi-alien entry in the loose leaf who's who, which I can't reach with this short cord on my headset, uh, I think it's like John K. Schneider. John K. It is John K. Schneider. It's yep. so cool. And that's good too, yeah. I mean, yeah. like that entry alone made me fascinated with this character. I was just like... Wow, that's cool. Him and Two Face probably have a lot to talk to each other about. They they should. They totally. And that Legion villain who had the robot junk. Oh, uh, th- uh the 
Therak or whatever. Therak, something from like the, uh, the the Fatal Five. I'm yeah, try- I'm trying to throw down with the Legion knowledge, but I'm not doing too good there, am I? No, I love this guy. I absolutely just please put this guy in the tumbler. I just dig this okay. guy. So much. Yeah, done deal. Ultra the multi alien. <laughs> this is a mess. This is a <laughs> mess. <laughs> Fear this person. One part is chicken foot. This is longer. This leg, which isn't even a leg. I think that's just gravy. That's been. and then of course the unifying principle for all superheroes that are bad: women's underwear. I hope this person wasn't just fired, but then murdered. Who thought of it? <laughs> 